Welcome, everybody, to today's edition of the Jadavis Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valier. Hope you all are enjoying day whatever of quarantine, uh, part of this coronavirus outbreak. I know uh, I haven't been on recently because this is a sports podcast and there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about over the last few weeks, but uh, thankfully, things are starting to look up. Uh, There have been discussions. Uh, President Trump has talked with uh, the commissioners of all four major league sports, uh, Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, Rob Manfred, and Adam Silver, along with guys like Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones, uh, specific owners of those leagues, to talk about when a potential return to sports could happen. Uh, And there have been talks that sports could return soon, uh, like MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred is hopeful that uh, the MLB will still resume at some point in the 2020 season. Uh, obviously, the NBA and the NHL are hopeful that they'll continue play this season and finish out the season that's already been started, and there's hope that the NFL will be able to play a normal schedule that, of course, wouldn't start till like a couple of weeks into September, which is still uh, four, three and a half months away. Uh, so there's plenty of time. Um, excuse me, I was I meant to say four and a half months away uh, for the NFL. There's still plenty of time for the NFL to have a normal schedule, and thankfully for the NFL, there has been plenty of activity to talk about over the last month and a half that the coronavirus has dominated uh, the news cycle, um, and sports has been gone since beginning to around mid-March, um, right in that little time frame. Sports has been canceled up until today's date of April 22nd, 2020, and it is still suspended. We don't know when it will come back, uh, but like I said, uh, some of the commissioners are hopeful. President Trump wants sports to return. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, the head uh, White House doctor for the coronavirus um, research, is hopeful that sports will return soon. And you know what? I'm hopeful that sports will return soon, so... uh, Who knows what will happen, but there have been things to talk about um, in the NFL. We'll get into some of that. Obviously, the NFL draft starts tomorrow. The first round of the draft starts tomorrow. It will be a virtual draft. Uh, Roger Goodell will make the uh, selections from his basement um, in his home. I don't know exactly where he lives. I'm assuming somewhere like New York City. Um, And uh, players will be able to participate in the draft, they won't get draft gear until later on because obviously they can't be there. They'll be broadcasting from their homes. Only the top picks like Joe Burrow and uh, Chase Young, Tua Tungavailoa, Justin Herbert, uh, Jeff Okuda, guys like that, those guys will all be on the call. Um, maybe lower profile guys won't be, uh, but at least those guys uh, will all be on the call and you'll get to see their initial reactions to getting drafted. Um, And, of course, Rob Gronkowski getting traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday to reunite with his former quarterback, Tom Brady. Uh, Obviously, that's big news, um, but um, just wanted to see what everybody's up to. I mean, everybody's had a different quarantine experience over the last month and a half. I personally, so I I, uh, originally went back to um, uh, my hometown of Ashburn, Virginia. I was still here at Liberty, and uh, right as the coronavirus was picking up steam, Liberty was just heading into spring break, 
Uh, so I left to go home for spring break. I had spring break plans, didn't end up doing any of them because Corona shut pretty much everything down. Uh, and then I spent about two weeks in Ashburn and I was starting to get real bored. Um, and, you know, there was just no real point of being home and all my friends and my girlfriend were down in Lynchburg. Um, so I went, uh, I left and I went back down to Lynchburg. I've been here for about three and a half weeks now. Uh, went, I did go back up to my parents' house for a day. Me and my girlfriend went back up to Ashburn to visit my parents uh, for Easter, but that's the only day out of the last three and a half weeks that I have not been in Lynchburg. Uh, so, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I've been finding things to do. There's been plenty of TV to watch. I've been watching tons of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my roommates, and um, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Yesterday, me and my roommate watched a movie called Hoodwinked, from, I think it was released in either 2005 or 2006, one of those two years, brought me back to my childhood. Anyway, it's been really peaceful. Uh, there hasn't been any pressure to go out and do anything. I've been seeing the people that I want to see. And you know what? It's just been a relaxing, peaceful time of my life. Uh, and outside of the schoolwork, it honestly feels like summer vacation from middle school. I don't have a job. I don't have work that I have to like worry about there's no pressure to go out and make huge plans it's literally just me and the sunshine every day and it's really been a lot of fun so um overall it's been a lot of fun just being able to uh enjoy quarantine for what it is i think you got to look at it from uh a positive perspective every once in a while obviously it's easy to look at it through a negative lens and think about oh well you can't go out to restaurants you can't go out to any public places uh it's hard to go see your uh, elderly loved ones, uh, and it's just tough to do anything without outside without wearing some sort of mask. Uh, but I think there are a lot of positives. There's a lot of uh, time of community with uh, your families or the roommates that you live in a house with. Uh, it's very easy to uh, spend time um, just reading uh, a book, whether that's uh, a novel or the Bible. I've been reading the Bible uh, a lot more often since uh, this coronavirus outbreak started, uh, which has been really soothing. Um, it's been really good to find more time uh, to spend in the Word uh, the last month and a half because um, there's no excuses anymore. Um, and, and there's plenty of TV series to catch up on, and that's always a good thing as well. So um, anyway, hope you all are doing great during this coronavirus pandemic. Hope you all are finding things to do during your time of quarantine, and we will all get out of this very, very soon, uh, and honestly, I cannot wait for that day. So anyway, uh, I wanted to start with this. Rob Gronkowski yesterday, reports came out around 3 o'clock, 3.30 p.m. that said Rob Gronkowski was interested in coming out of retirement, and he would not be interested in playing for anybody except with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Apparently there's no loyalty between Gronk and the Patriots organization, the organization he played for for all nine years of his NFL career and won three Super Bowls with. He said, you know what, it's not about them, it's not about Coach Belichick, it's not about Bob Kraft, I want to play with Tom Brady. Um, I think this says a lot. You're, I think you're going to see this the longer that Tom Brady is in Tampa Bay. So if Tom Brady's only in Tampa for one year, you won't see it. But if it leaks over and Tom Brady spends three or four years playing for the Buccaneers, 
you're going to start seeing patriots like Julian Edelman and, and Chris Hogan and and, um, and guys like that, James White, start to leave New England and trying their hardest to play for the Buccaneers because you're starting to see that people weren't as excited to play for Bill Belichick, who's obviously the best coach in NFL history. People were more interested in playing with Tom Brady. Apparently Tom Brady's Mr. Teammate. He's the greatest teammate in the world. Everyone wants to play with him. You're seeing Rob Gronkowski wanting to come out of retirement just to join Tom Brady and not Bill Belichick. And you're starting to see other players. There were reports early on when Tom Brady signed in Tampa that there will be players that will be calling the Buccaneers wanting to play for them because Tom Brady is there. I think this is a telling tale for Gronk that players are more likely to want to play for Tom Brady than Bill Belichick. And that's not rocket science either. So uh, you heard it. He came. He wants to come out of retirement and play for Tampa Bay an hour later. The trade's official. He's already taken his physical with the Buccaneers. And Rob Gronkowski is a Tampa Bay Buck. Uh, it was a trade because the Patriots still had Rob Gronkowski technically under contract. Uh, he has one year left on his deal, so Tampa... Um, sent over a fourth-round pick to get Gronk and a seventh-round pick. And if you look at it, it's really a steal for the Bucks because they get a future Hall of Fame tight end who might be the greatest tight end of all time and only have to give up a fourth-rounder. And, oh, they also get a seventh-round pick with Robin Gronkowski. Um, but if the more you think about it... Uh, it's really more of a win for the Patriots because they get a fourth-round pick basically by giving up a seventh-round pick. They really have a pick move up three whole rounds because they didn't have Rob Gronkowski this past season, and there was no way he was ever going to play for that organization ever again. Um, so the fact is, Gronk or no Gronk, the Patriots just straight up got a fourth-round pick for a seventh-round pick. They weren't anticipating having Rob Gronkowski this season, and when he wanted to come out of retirement, he said he had no plans of playing for them. So really, this trade really was won by the Patriots and Bill Belichick, only having to give up a seventh-round pick to get a fourth-round pick. I know we'll chip in a retired player who, hasn't, who was out of the league last year. We'll give him up as well. Um, obviously this trade really, really helps Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady, had, since he, uh, Gronk came into the league back in 2010, Tom Brady with Gronkowski, if you averaged it out on a per 16 games basis, which is a full regular season, since the end, or as of the end of 2017 with Gronk, on average, 16 games, Tom Brady's completing 65.5% of his passes, 4,703 yards a season, 36 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. That's per 16 games when playing with Rob Gronkowski. He's putting up Aaron Rodgers-like numbers when he has Gronk in the lineup. Uh, when Tom Brady does not have Rob Gronkowski on a per 16 games basis, 60.2% completion, 4,372 yards per season, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So, uh, completion percentage goes down 5.3 points without Gronk. He throws, on average, about 400 less yards per season, uh, nine less touchdowns, and four more interceptions. 
and he puts up numbers that are sort of a la Ryan Tannehill when he doesn't have Rob Gronkowski. Gronk makes a huge difference in the way we've viewed Tom Brady in the 2010s decade. If it weren't for Gronk, Tom Brady would have had a decade similar to Ryan Tannehill. Had some good seasons, put up productive numbers, but there's no way he's winning Super Bowls. He's borderline not making it to the Super Bowl without Rob Gronkowski. Because with Gronk, that team went, Tom Brady played in five Super Bowls and won three of them. That's a lot. But also, Gronk needs Tom Brady. Gronk has caught 91 touchdowns in his NFL career. 90 of them have been from Tom Brady. Um, so they both really need each other. This trade really works out more for Tom Brady because Tom Brady's success ballooned once Rob Gronkowski showed up. It also, coincidentally, was when Randy Moss left the Patriots that Gronk came to the Patriots. So it really was a stretch of about 12, 13 years where Brady had either Randy Moss or Rob Gronkowski uh, to really bail him out of some really bad performances. Anyway, uh, I could go down that rabbit trail, but I won't. So now the Bucks are stacked. They have Gronk. They have Tom Brady. They might have O.J. Howard. They have Cameron Brate. They have Chris Godwin. And they have Mike Evans. Uh, four of those guys have been to multiple Pro Bowls. Evans, Godwin, Gronk, and Brady. But... And everyone's talking about it. You hear guys like Skip Bayless, even guys like Colin Cowherd saying Tampa Bay is not only going to make the playoffs, but they might win next year's Super Bowl. And I'm saying slow down. Slow down. We've been here before we were here just last season. This time last year, we were saying the exact same things that we're saying about the Tampa Bay Bucks, and we were saying them about last year's Cleveland Browns. Last year's Browns had... Everybody. They had Baker Mayfield, who was just coming off of throwing for a rookie record 27 touchdown passes. Had Odell Beckham Jr., a top three wide receiver in the NFL. Jarvis Landry, arguably the best slot receiver in the NFL. Up-and-coming tight end David Njoku and stud running backs Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Chubb this season ended up rushing for the most yards in the NFL. Uh, and Kareem Hunt, at one point, was the NFL's leading rusher himself. So, the Browns had all the expectations last year. Everyone thought, oh, the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl. The Browns are going to make the playoffs. They're going to win their division. They're going to win 12 games. Blah, blah, blah. Then they go 6-10, and 10 and Baker Mayfield collapses, and they had to fire their coach after one season. And there's talks that they might trade Odell. It's a difference what one full calendar year can do for expectations. The Browns had huge expectations because they had everybody on offense, but everybody forget that their offensive line was horrible and that their defense was not much better, and all they really had was skilled players and a flashy second-year quarterback, and you really can't win many games with just that. They also had a rookie head coach who was not who ended up being a one-year head coach. It's the same thing that happened to the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles, who Vince Young once described as the dream team before the season started. They had Michael Vick, who was coming off a Pro Bowl season, young and up-and-coming receivers Jeremy Macklin and Deshaun Jackson. They had LaShawn McCoy. They had Brent Selleck. They had Riley Cooper. They had uh, Namdi Asamoah on defense that everybody was excited about. And they went 8-8. Eight eight. They didn't make the playoffs, uh, and they basically finished third in their division. 
much like the Browns finished third in their division last season, despite there being so many expectations. Oh, the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl in 2011. Oh, the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl in 2019, and neither happened. Neither of those teams made the playoffs. Neither of those teams had a winning record. Now I know, Tom Brady's the winningest quarterback of all time. Him and Gronk are magic together. They've won three championships together. Those guys are proven. Michael Vick had never won a championship. Obviously, Baker Mayfield had never won a championship. And Tom Brady has. That's the difference. Those other teams, yeah, you could say last year's Browns had Freddie Kitchens as their head coach. Okay, the 2011 Eagles had Andy Reid as their head coach, and they went 8-8 eight and eight with Michael Vick, who was an MVP candidate a season before. When you have too many expectations on one team, like we're sort of heaping on the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're going to under... It happens every time. No team with a lot of hype that has had very minimal success seasons prior don't end up turning it around just because of the hype. You saw it with Cleveland last year. You saw it with Philly in 2011. I think you're going to see it this season with Tampa Bay. They are... Absolutely loaded. They have everybody you could possibly need from a skills position perspective on offense. They have everybody. But last season, they gave up the fourth most points in the NFL. They gave up Their O-line gave up about three sacks per game. Now, that could always change if the Redskins end up sending Trent Williams to Tampa Bay in return for O.J. Howard. But their offensive line's kind of shaky. Their defense is very shaky. Uh, and they have a bit of a turnover-prone offense led by Bruce Arians. You see guys like Carson Palmer, guys like Jameis Winston, guys like even Ben Roethlisberger in their first seasons under Bruce Arians, they throw a lot of interceptions. Tom Brady might throw at least 10 or 11 picks this season. That's not weird to think about. This is sort of a run-and-gun offense like the Oilers ran back in the 1990s. You might see some turnovers, That's and they don't really have much of a running game. I'm just saying, slow your roll on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They might be good. Last year they went 7-9. They might go 9-7, and 10-6 this season. I'm not predicting a Super Bowl for Tampa. Okay, I'm not even going to really predict a division title for Tampa. You just need to be patient with teams like the Buccaneers. They could very well win a Super Bowl during the Tom Brady era in Tampa Bay. It may not be this season. They may not make the playoffs this season, and that will be fine. It won't be a disappointment. This is a franchise that hasn't been to the playoffs in 12 years. You need to be patient, just like last year. Everyone said, all the Browns are going to be great. Well, they haven't made the playoffs in 17, 18 years, and they haven't had a winning record in that span as well. And guess what? Baker Mayfield has never been to the playoffs. Odell Beckham's been to the playoffs once in seven years. Uh, Jarvis Landry... Once in seven years, been to the playoffs. It's not like all those guys together are going to all of a sudden become a Super Bowl team. They played two playoff games of those three players combined. Same with Nick Chubb. Of those four players, two playoff games, zero wins combined, and all of a sudden that equals Super Bowl win? That was why last year's predictions for the Browns were crazy. Now I know it's different when you've got Super Bowl rings like Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski have. But there's still plenty of reason to believe that this team won't win the Super Bowl, as there is that they will win this year's Super Bowl. Who knows? My early prediction, they might be a fringe playoff team if they keep the roster that they have now.
Tom Brady is 43 years old. Rob Gronkowski has spent a year away from the game, and he's 31 years old and has no legs anymore. You really think a 43-year-old and a 30 a 43-year-old quarterback and a 31-year-old tight end who's played a year away from who's spent a year away from the game and has no legs will really be a dynamic duo in 2020 with a brand new franchise and a brand new coaching philosophy? It might be a while. Who knows if Gronk wants to play beyond 2020? There's a lot of questions. Got to keep it realistic. You got to keep things in perspective when you're talking about the Buccaneers. Okay. All right, well, that's my spiel on Rob Gronkowski to Tampa Bay. It's uh, it's going to be weird seeing Tom Brady throwing Rob Gronkowski passes and have it not be for the Patriots. Just the fact that those guys are teammates, again, for a different franchise is kind of weird. So, anyway, uh, the big story in the NFL outside of Rob Gronkowski is that the NFL draft, the 2020 NFL draft, is tomorrow. Uh, and we really already have the first two picks of the draft solidified. Number one, Cincinnati's going to take LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. That's really, there's no question about that. Uh, Joe Burrow won the Heisman. Uh, he was the quarterback for a national champion team. Uh, he's pretty much a lock to go number one to a quarterback needy team like the Bengals. Number two, uh, the Redskins are not really in need of a pass rush, but they're going to take Ohio State edge rusher Chase Young. Um, people are calling him a generational-type talent, like a Lawrence Taylor-type talent. Um, and he's going to come to Washington and make sure that guys like Ryan Kerrigan, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, uh, and Montez Sweat never see double teams for the rest of their careers. Um, so, yeah, Cincinnati's going to take Joe Burrow. The Redskins are going to take Chase Young. After that, it's kind of a toss-up. Everyone thinks maybe Detroit will either take Jeff Okuda or trade back. Uh, a lot of people think the Lions will trade back. Other teams, uh, uh, other teams that might trade back are like the Cardinals, the Panthers, the Atlanta Falcons. Um, it sounds like every team, even at number two, even the Redskins might be interested in trading back. This seems like that kind of draft where, you know, maybe more talent will come out in 2021, so a lot of teams might want to start stockpiling picks for next year's draft. Um, I don't know what's exactly happening. Uh, the Redskins have been listening to offers. They're likely content to just take Chase Young, but of course, who wouldn't do this if the right offer came around? The Redskins would probably entertain the offer, which, yeah, every team would do that. It's a smart move by Ron Rivera to at least listen for trade talks at number two. Um, now, look, the biggest drama, I guess, right now with the draft is uh, surrounding Tua Tungavailoa, who many people are saying will be either the second quarterback taken or the third quarterback taken. It's a toss-up between him and Justin Herbert, quarterback out of Oregon, but Tua, quarterback out of Alabama, has had, obviously, look, he's left-handed, he has got a rocket, completely accurate left arm. Uh, and honestly, if he were completely healthy, he'd be ranked above Joe Burrow and maybe Alabama would have just won the national championship. It really comes down to Tua's health. Is he physically capable of being a franchise quarterback in the NFL? I think you know it's fair to wonder. You know, I think teams have legitimate concerns as to why they would not take Tua, because he's injury-prone. You saw what happened with guys like RG3, even guys like Andrew Luck, 
generational talents like those two guys, both neither of them had long careers in the NFL, and neither of them ended up winning or even appearing in Super Bowls because their injuries simply got in the way. RG3 only started two and a half years really in the NFL. Andrew Luck started like five and a half years in the NFL. Both of those guys were looked at as generational type talents. Neither of them had long careers. There's obviously plenty of concern that that might happen to Tua as well. Now, Tua is not being docketed as some generational type talent. He's extremely good, and a lot of people are saying that he might be good enough to draft in a place like Pittsburgh or even a place like Tampa Bay where he could one day replace Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady. Now, those are legit. Uh, or even New Orleans to replace Drew Brees. Uh, the Dolphins gave him a passing grade on his physical. Yet yeah, he there have been concerns about Tua's physical. Some teams haven't graded him well. Some teams haven't passed him. Uh, the Dolphins have passed him. A lot of people sort of assume Tua will be drafted at number five by the Dolphins to be the Dolphins' franchise quarterback. Uh, other people think that Tua might fall to the end of the first round to one of the better teams, like, of course, uh, New Orleans or Pittsburgh or even Tampa. Um, some people think he'll fall to seven to the Chargers. Some think the Jaguars might take Tua. Whatever happens, Tua is going to play really, really well for whoever drafts him. Okay, he is absolutely ridiculous. If you watch him, if you watch that national championship that he won where he replaced Jalen Hurts, he was outstanding. Okay, if you look at his numbers, in his three years at Alabama, completion percentage at 69.3, yards per attempt at almost 11. A good NFL quarterback or even a good college quarterback is between the 7 to 8.2 range. He's at 11. All he does is throw accurate deep balls. He's incredible. 87 touchdown passes, 11 interceptions, barely loses a game, a quarterback rating of 199.4 in three years at Alabama. Yeah, you think that's good? He's got size too. Six foot one, 218 pounds, got a lot of muscle on his arms. He's going to do well. There are concerns legit. He did not, he's not healthy. He's not healthy right now. He hasn't been shown to be very durable. Uh, he had the lowest Wonderlick grade. Of all the quarterbacks in this draft, yes, below guys like even Jake Fromm uh, or Jordan Love, but the fact of the matter is when you have a guy this talented, Wonderlick scores, it's it's a 50-question, multiple-choice questionnaire uh, test uh, that you have 12 minutes to complete. The highest grade you can get is 50, and he got a 13 out of 50. But low Wonderlick score, guys have succeeded in the NFL. Look at Donovan McNabb. He didn't have a he had a low Wonderlick score, ended up being a quarterback in the NFL for 13 years and went to a Super Bowl and is a borderline Hall of Famer. Guys can succeed with low Wonderlick scores. Now, the health concerns are big. Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN who used to be uh, an executive for the Dolphins and the New York Jets came out and said it would be irresponsible to take Tua in the top 10 picks of the draft. Yeah, I don't know about that. He could be in line for a red shirt type of year, similar to what Green Bay did with Aaron Rodgers, what Cincinnati did with Carson Palmer, and what San Diego did with Phillip Rivers. Give him a year to sit, learn behind a, a more savvy vet. Aaron Rodgers had Brett Favre, Carson Palmer had John Kitna, uh, Phillip Rivers had Drew Brees, and if Tua goes to Miami, he'll have Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
it'll be... It'll be nice for Tua to sit out and barely play his rookie season, maybe even barely play his second year in the league, his first two years in the NFL, and then he'll be able to take over. He'll be healed up. He'll be more durable. He'll have some NFL experience heading into his first start. And boom, you have an Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, Carson Palmer type situation where he ends up panning out as a really good NFL player. Maybe RG3 and Andrew Luck would have benefited from having something like that as well. Who knows? But all I'm saying is, it would be a huge mistake to pass up on Tua, just because of health concerns. If you have, like, uh, football concerns where you don't think that his game will translate to the NFL, first, you're crazy, but second, it could be legitimate. I'm not, I don't think like NFL executives or coaches, so if they're football-related, pass on him. If they're injury-related, you have to take a chance. You have to take a chance. Nick Saban, uh, Tua's coach and the former head coach of the Dolphins, came out and said, the reason I'm not coaching in the NFL and the reason why the Dolphins have not been better over the last 15 years is because when I was coach of the Dolphins, I passed on Drew Brees because of a failed physical. And look what happened to Drew Brees. He ended up putting together a Hall of Fame career where he won a Super Bowl, got a lot of MVP votes, but didn't actually win MVP, and ended up becoming the NFL's all-time leading passer. That's what I missed out on, and if I didn't, I'd still be coaching in the NFL. Take Nick Saban's word for it. Draft Tua because it's the responsible thing to do. You'll regret not taking him. I'm not saying teams like Cincinnati and Washington should pass or should take Tua. Those, those two are set. The Bengals get Joe Burrow. The Redskins have a quarterback that they're still testing out in Dwayne Haskins. They don't need Tua Tungavailoa. And they have a generational-type pass rusher in Chase Young that they could obviously go after and make that defense scary, that defensive line scary. Every other team that needs a quarterback, like the Chargers, like Miami, like Jacksonville, and like three other teams maybe that could need a backup that they could groom to be their starter, it, it would be irresponsible to pass on Tua Tungavailoa, or to worse, take Justin Herbert over Tua Tungavailoa. That's what I'm saying. Tua is the best and most talented quarterback in this draft. Is he the best prospect? No, that's Joe Burrow. That's why he'll go number one. But Tua is the, purely the most talented passer in this draft and arguably in last year's draft. You can't pass on a guy like that. You just can't. He's a better pure passer than Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins. But you can't just assume that teams like the Cardinals, Giants, and Redskins regret taking quarterbacks over potentially having Tua this year. Their injury concerns are legitimate, and who knows how he'll translate to the NFL, but what we've seen in college, I like what I saw from Tua more than I saw from Murray Jones, Haskins, and a lot of other young quarterbacks like even Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. So that's my spiel. That was a long spiel, but that's what I would say to teams considering passing on Tua because of low wonderlick scores and failed physicals. It's kind of silly. Um, so last but not least, I sort of want to end on this. I saw a list, or, a, you know, during times of quarantine, a lot of people want to uh, sort of put out there their top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 running backs, uh, and top 10 wide receivers, whatever. But I saw one list of the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL, and I was sort of baffled at the whole Julio versus Michael Thomas debate. A lot of people are saying Michael Thomas is better than Julio Jones. A lot of people say that Julio is better than MT. Um, 
I'm here to settle the debate. I'm going to give my top 10 wide receivers in the NFL, um, and then maybe later on I'll do top 10 running backs, top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 defenders. I'll do all of that. Uh, But I'll start with top 10 receivers in the NFL to clear the air on, really, because this list is 100% accurate because I came up with it. So, top 10 wide receivers in the NFL. Number 10 is Chris Godwin. Now, before you go say, oh, he's a one-year wonder. Like I said, this is simply just a right-now list. Right now, Chris Godwin is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. He was a pro bowler this season, caught 86 passes for 1,333 yards and 9 touchdowns, um, average of 95 yards a game, 15.5 yards per reception, and he only played in 14 games. If he had played in two others, he would have potentially been the NFL's leading receiver behind Michael Thomas. Uh, He missed two games. He had a quarterback who threw 30 interceptions, and he still was able to put up Pro Bowl caliber numbers as a 23-year-old, and guess what? He's only getting better. He's 24, and he's got Tom Brady as his quarterback. Until further notice, Chris Godwin is the 10th best receiver in the NFL. He's my number 10. Number 9, Devontae Adams. I have Devontae Adams over... Chris Godwin, because Devontae's done it longer. Uh, Yeah, so far, yeah, Chris Godwin is a one-year wonder. I will admit that. But in six seasons in the NFL, Devontae Adams has been nothing but getting better. Until this season, he had three straight years of of double-digit touchdowns, and he gets to continue playing with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who I think is one of the most talented quarterbacks in NFL history, who is still relatively productive. Uh, this past season, Adams was three yards shy of catching 1,000 yards, five touchdowns. He's got much improved hands. His first two years in the NFL, there were legitimate concerns that Devontae Adams could not catch the football. Uh, but I think in the last four seasons, he's really emerged from being a guy that was really more of a liability to a guy that's a borderline every year, but a borderline top 10 receiver in the NFL. I don't know if it's all because of Aaron Rodgers, and I don't know if it's because... Uh, of the offense that they play in, but he's been to the Pro Bowl in each of the last three seasons, and he is consistently one of the biggest threats in the NFL, especially downfield. He can uh, work the intermediate to short routes as well and take things the distance. He really is a do-it-all. I think he's the ninth best receiver in the NFL. Great route runner as well. Okay, number eight. Uh, Number eight, I'm going to go with Adam Thielen. Um, This is controversial. Uh, Who knows with Adam Thielen if it's the offense, if it's the quarterback, uh, or if it's simply just, yeah, the offense throwing the ball down the field all the time. But for all things considered, Adam Thielen barely played wide receiver his first couple of years in the NFL. He was a special teams guy. He was blocking punts. He was on punt coverage, kickoff return coverage. He was on all of that. No one really seriously considered Adam Thielen to be an NFL player And in the last four years, he has been absolutely tremendous. Per 16 games in the last four seasons, he would average out 84 catches, 1,113 yards, and seven touchdowns. And he gets to play with one of the more aggressive quarterbacks in the NFL in Kirk Cousins. Uh, The guy can catch anything. He's got one of the best hands in the NFL. And I think he's a top three route runner in the NFL I think he's better than Devontae Adams in terms of running routes. I think he can make any defender miss in the open field. Um, and he really can bust out for humongous 200-yard 11-catch games at any point at any time. I think he's the 8th best wide receiver in the NFL. 
Number seven, I'm going to go with Mike Evans. Uh, another Tampa Bay wide receiver. Chris Godwin's the 10th best receiver in the NFL, but he's not even the best receiver on his own team. Uh, Mike Evans has been good his entire career. He's been in the NFL for six seasons. Uh, has barely missed a Pro Bowl. He's made it half the time. Uh, but when he hasn't made the Pro Bowl, he's still putting up 1,000 yards. He's never once finished a season without 1,000 yards receiving. Or at least 65 catches. I think that's really, really good for a receiver who has played with Jameis Winston for the majority of his career. Inaccurate, turnover-prone Jameis Winston. Mike Evans is still producing. Uh, this past season, he caught for 1,100 yards and 8 touchdowns while averaging 17.3 yards a reception and averaging 89 yards a game. Uh, played in 13 games, just like Chris Godwin, if he had played every game, gosh, that offense would have absolutely shattered the mold. Jameis Winston might have shattered the NFL single-season passing yards record, and he may have a job if Chris Godwin and Mike Evans don't miss time this season with injury. He's big, he's bulky, he can catch anything, uh, and he's really a matchup nightmare because of how big he is. You can throw it to anywhere in his vicinity, and he will go and get it. He is the seventh-best receiver in the NFL. Number six, Amari Cooper. Um... A lot of talk, is it Dak, is it Amari Cooper? I personally think it's Amari Cooper that makes the Cowboys offense so successful. In 2018, when he came to the Cowboys from the Oakland Raiders, uh, that offense could not do anything. Dak Prescott, statistically, was barely throwing touchdown passes, was barely throwing for 200 yards in games. Amari Cooper shows up, and boom, Dak becomes a top-five passer rating quarterback in the NFL. Coincidence? I don't think so. The last year and a half, the Cowboys have had really one of the better offenses in the league. They scored the most points in the NFL this past season. Dallas did. And, uh, yeah, when Amari Cooper is not playing or not on the field, that offense takes a massive hit. And Dak Prescott, statistically, and in terms of passer rating and quarterback rating, takes a gargantuan hit. Amari Cooper is the sixth best wide receiver in the NFL because of really how much he means to that team. He's an excellent route runner. He's tough to bring down. He's got really, really strong legs. So he is tough to tackle in the open field because he's really nifty as well. Yeah, he's the sixth best wide receiver in the NFL. All right, top five. Number five wide receiver in the NFL. I'm going to go with Keenan Allen. Yes, Keenan Allen uh, is really a ball hog. He's like, I, I, <laughs> I called him during the season the Kobe Bryant slash Michael Jordan of the NFL in terms of just how much he wants the football. That guy will catch 11 to 13 passes a game just because, guess what? He's really There's really not anybody out there like him. Okay, he's nifty. He can run the short routes. He can, he can go deep. He's vertical. He can jump high. Uh, and he's Mr. Consistent. The last three seasons, at least 1,100 yards and exactly six touchdowns. Every season, Mr. Consistent has played in every single game the last three years after struggling with injury from 2015 to 2016. Um... The guy just goes up and gets it. He's got uh, two of the last three seasons, 100 catches, and he's had at least 97 catches in each of the last three years. That's a lot. That's a lot of times that an older quarterback like Phillip Rivers needs to depend on a guy, and he's doing a, a lot, and he's only 28 years old, so he's still got at least three, maybe four years left in this league. He's a top-five receiver in the NFL. Uh, number four, yeah, I'm going to go with Odell Beckham. I know he had a down year in his first year in Cleveland, but from a talent perspective, I personally think he is the best and most talented wide receiver in the NFL. That doesn't mean he's great. 
He's only played in one playoff game in six years in the NFL, and I think the reason, part of the reason why they lost that playoff game was because of him, but... I mean, come on, nobody can deny the guy's catch radius is best in the NFL. He's got the best hands I've possibly ever seen. Uh, maybe outside of the number one guy on my list, he's a top two hands catch guy I've ever seen. He can make any one-handed catch. He was a highlight machine early on in his career, um, and I hope that there's still more to come uh, as he plays for the Browns or potentially another franchise because Odell is about as much of a threat. He's fast. He's physical, um, and he's big and strong, and he can really outrun any defender in the NFL. And he's got the best hands when he's on, and when he's got a good quarterback throwing him the football, good luck covering Odell Beckham. But because of last year, i got to take him outside the top three for a first time because, yeah, you, you really can't judge him based on this past season, and we're going based off of the last season. And the last season wasn't very good for Odell, so he's number four. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with Julio Jones. He's the biggest, baddest wide receiver in the NFL. He's a top three receiver every year, every almost going on 10 years he's been in the NFL. He's uncoverable. He's fast. He's faster than he looks. Um, and he can really do anything that you need him to do. The only problem I have with Julio, here's the only thing keeping me from making Julio the number one receiver on my list. The guy doesn't catch touchdown passes. Okay, Julio has caught double-digit touchdowns just once in nine years, and that was back in 2012, which means he has gone seven straight years with catching eight or less touchdowns. This past season, yeah, he can he can rack up yards. He led the league in NFL receiving last season, in, in yards last season, had almost 1,400 yards this season, but only six touchdowns. In 2017, he caught just three touchdowns in 16 games, despite having 1,400 yards. He's had at least 1,300 yards in each of the last six seasons. He's a Absolute nightmare to cover. He once had 300 yards receiving in a game back in 2016 against Carolina. Julio Jones is magnificent. If he caught more touchdowns, he'd be the best wide receiver in the NFL, bar none. But he doesn't catch touchdowns, and he's about to be 31 years old, so he's in the back nine of his career. I don't know how much longer Julio will play, but I don't think going into 2020, he's the best receiver in the NFL. Number two, Michael Thomas. Uh, some people are asking, why is, not, why is Michael Thomas not the number one receiver on your list? Well, uh, because I don't think he's as talented as, as number one, but MT is still a top two receiver in this league. There's a reason that this guy led the NFL in receptions in each of the last two years and led the NFL in receiving yards this season and has played for some really, really good football teams the last three years. It's because the guy catches everything. His catch percentage in his career, 78.1% has been at least 80% in each of the last two years. You know how good that is? The guy catches everything. He doesn't drop anything. He almost didn't have a drop this entire 2019 season. He is only 26 years old, so next year he'll be 27, and he's playing with Drew Brees. I don't care how old Drew Brees is. He'll always be the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, and when you're playing with a reliable uh best route running receiver in the NFL like Michael Thomas, then yeah, he's, uh, yeah, there I said it, Michael Thomas, best route runner in the NFL, best route runner, he's got excellent hands, uh, he's always open, he's fast, he's big, he's really tall, uh, he can really do anything, I think he's the second best receiver in the NFL, and plus the team he's playing on in the quarterback situation he has is better than Julio Jones, what can I say? 
Uh, obviously, number one, uh, best receiver in the NFL is DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think there's much debate there. I know he just got traded over to the Arizona Cardinals, where he will play for he will go from one great dynamic young quarterback in Deshaun Watson to another Kyler Murray. Um, yeah, this guy is a bet for a thousand yards every season, double digit touchdowns most years. Um, he can catch anything. I think his his hands recently have been better than Odell Beckham's. I mean, he plays genuinely for better teams than the other guys. But when you watch DeAndre Hopkins run routes, and when you watch that size and the athleticism and the ability to just go up and get a football despite all circumstances going against him, it, it just makes him undeniably the best wide receiver in the NFL. He is, in many respects, everything that Odell Beckham wants to be, but just is anyway. Uh, I don't know how confusing that is, but Odell Beckham, I think, wants to be like DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins has been in the league longer. He's been consistently better and more durable than the other guys on this list. He's the best wide receiver in the NFL. That's my top 10. Uh, number one, DeAndre Hopkins. Two, Michael Thomas. Three, Julio Jones. Four, Odell Beckham. Five, Keenan Allen. Six, Amari Cooper. Seven, Mike Evans. Eight, Adam Thielen, nine, Devontae Adams, and ten, Chris Godwin. Those are the top ten receivers playing in the NFL currently. Notice I did not have Antonio Brown on that list because he did not play at all this past season. If he did, he'd probably make the list at some point and knock maybe out of either Thielen, Adams, or Godwin off the list. So, anyway, those are my top ten wide receivers in the NFL. Those are my thoughts on the NFL draft, and those are my thoughts on Rob Gronkowski. Uh, I'd like to produce... More episodes, maybe more shorter episodes in the future. So if you're still listening here, closing in on the 46-minute mark, then congratulations, it's your lucky day. You don't win anything besides uh, 46 minutes of having to listen to me talk about sports. Um, we will, I will see you all after the NFL draft is complete for my thoughts on the draft and the teams that took certain players. Um, and until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active. Go outside, read a book, do something during this time of quarantine. We'll all get out of it soon. And happy 51st birthday to my dad, Moose Valier. Today's his birthday. Um, and I will see you very soon. Uh, yeah, you've been listening to the Jadava Show, and I'm your host, Jacob Valier. We will see you next time. Take care.